Reagan. Good morning, Pastor. Man, what a great day to be in church. Well, it sure fans. is. Welcome to church today. Yeah. It's a great day to be in church today. Amen. You know, I love this time of year. It's my favorite time of year. I like the spring. I like the the April showers. I like the balmy breezes. I like the flowers growing. I like the grass getting green. Of course, here in Augusta, when your grass gets green, so does your car and your sidewalk and your house. And, but uh, the April showers have kind of washed that away. And, and uh, here we are enjoying springtime in Augusta. But you know, the most important thing about this time of year is that we celebrate the greatest day in the history of our Christian faith, and that is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You know, I couldn't agree more. Yes. I could not agree more. I love everything about Easter. I always have, even as a kid, you know, because when you're a kid, you get the Easter basket and you get the the little gifts and all of that stuff. But uh, even as an adult, I've always loved the tradition of Easter and coming together at church. You know, the church is packed on Sundays, on Easter Sunday, and, and uh, you know, going home and having a big meal afterwards, having family over and having fun together. And it reminds me of one specific year in about six, seven, eight years ago where, you know, we had a bunch of my wife's family over after Easter, church, at Easter service. And uh, after dinner, we had an Easter egg hunt for the kids. You know, we threw a bunch of eggs out in the bushes and in the grass, and they just go searching for them, and we get to laugh at them as they run around looking for eggs. And, and uh, my wife and her cousin thought it'd be funny this year to uh, uh, actually have an Easter egg hunt for the aunts and uncles and the grandparents and the older people. And uh, it was meant to be a big joke, you know. In fact, they, they took these eggs, and they, they put prunes in them, and they put uh, 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 fiber one and uh, heartburn medicine, you know, put them in these eggs, and they hid them out in the yard. And to our surprise, the, the, the aunts and uncles and grandparents had a blast searching for these eggs. They, we saw aggression we've never seen before out of some of these people. And it was actually a lot of fun, but, you know, it really got me to thinking, Pastor, because uh, as, as much as we thought it was a joke, they were so into it. And I started thinking, you know, we're wired as people to really, when we know there's something to be found, we really want to search for it. It's, it's the DNA of who God made us to be, is to search Absolutely. things out. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of, of um, Luke chapter 15. Our Lord Jesus, in that chapter, gave three stories in the form of parables about things that were lost and the searching for those things. There's this, the parable of the lost sheep, there's the parable of the lost coin, and there's the parable of the lost son. And in every case, there is a searching for. For example, the lost sheep, the shepherd, goes searching for that lost sheep. In fact, he leaves 99 to go search for that one. It's so important. The lady who searched diligently for that one coin, she had 10. She had lost one, and she, now we're down to one out of ten. And, and then the final story that Jesus told was about a son who was lost. And they're searching there. There's the heart of the father that is waiting, longing, and looking. But there's also the son who had to come to himself and then search his way home. But a glorious reunion. And uh, in every story, as I said, there's, there, there's the story of searching. And we have a story of searching today. Why don't you tell us about it? Yes. In fact, I, I agree. I believe every one of us are searching. We're all on a journey. And uh, what we'd like to do today is something a little different than what you would normally see on a Sunday here. We'd, we'd like to invite you to go on this journey with us as we're going to uh, watch a video of, of someone that, that went on, on his journey from, from searching to actually being found. 
we invite you to watch this video with us. Todd Rines. I've been coming to New Hope since January 1st, 2000. I grew up middle class. My dad worked for alcohol, tobacco, tax, and firearms back then. He was a revenuer initially, and we were a middle class family. Uh, grew up, we were Jewish, and the result of that, when you're short, Jewish with glasses in a Gentile world, that equals a lot of fist fights. <laughs> My brothers and I hated going to synagogue. It meant nothing to us, you know. We wanted to be outside playing, and by middle school and high school, I hated school. Had a rough relationship with my dad. Well, you know, being from a Jewish background, education is held in extremely high esteem, and, you know, disappointed my dad frequently with uh, my incredible grades I was getting. <laughs> Uh, at that time, I also wrestled in high school, uh, which was very good to me, even though I was good at quitting a lot of things. I, that was probably the best thing I was at and before I was saved, was quitting. Whatever I started, I was good at quitting. But wrestling was very good in that it, it, was, it opened the door to me of uh, discipline that I so desperately needed in my life. When I graduated high school, uh, I had decided to go to college to wrestle. So I went to Slippery Rock State College in Northwestern Pennsylvania. It was a tremendous experience for me. So I went to college, I wrestled a year. Second year, I said, I'm not going back to college. Uh, very bad error. <laughs> I got into drugs and just for uh, from like 19 to 25 years old, I, I, my goal was to get high every every day. Oh yeah, well, here's what I do remember about using drugs. I remembered, how could you not if you have to live in this world? <laughs> I mean, it, it was a natural thing to me. I mean, the world sucked and, uh, and you know, it was a defi definite, escape mechanism from it. During that time, I was struggling profoundly internally uh, with knowing things directly from wrestling of how you get things in order and yet being internally self-destructive. Uh, and like I said, always shooting myself in the foot, knowing that the drugs were bad for me and all those things, and yet wanting them, you know? And uh, so anyway, around 25, I decided, uh, I said, you know what, I'm just gonna stop drugs. I'm gonna stop drugs and, uh, and you know, live right. And, uh, and it's a good thing to wanna live right. And there's a beautiful thing that ends up happening when you decide to live right without Jesus Christ. You can't. You know, it's amazing how God starts dealing with you 
And uh, I, I realized that nothing external was the problem, but the problem was totally internal. And uh, for a few years at that time, Ann had been saying, hey, we should go to church, we should go to church, we should go to church. But in my mind, I was saying, I got to get some things right before I go to church. <laughs> and, uh, and there's stuff way too wrong uh, internally and externally in my life for me to step in a, in a church door. And I'd never been to church in my entire life uh, up to that time. Told Ann, it was like two weeks before we were scheduled to get married. I said, hey, I'll, I'll go to church uh, next week with you. All right. And she said, great, let's go. So it was a week before our wedding. And um, so we go to the, go to the church and um, people are incredibly friendly, you know, incredibly friendly. We go in there and they start singing this song and it's, Psalm 51, it says, creating me. Wow. Creating me a clean heart, oh God. And it was the cry of my heart. And, uh, wow. The intensity of what I was experiencing just kept rising. I said, what the heck is going on? You know, and, uh, uh, and, you know, I was shaking on the inside, didn't know what was really going on. And so I remember leaving there that day <clears throat> thinking either these people have the truth or they are freaking crazy. Todd said at the end there, he said, either these people are right or they're crazy. And that is a very powerful statement. How many, how many haven't thought that at some point or other in a church service? I know I have. Hopefully nobody feels that today. We're not crazy here. We're eccentric. We're not crazy, right? But you know, in our society, the way our society is today, it, sometimes you can feel like you have to be crazy to really believe in something. Because there's, there's so many things in our society that are so inconsistent. So many people are inconsistent. So many of us don't really, so many people don't really stand for anything. They're just kind of tossed to and fro by whatever the flavor of the day is. Sometimes even in the church. And maybe, maybe you've even experienced that in church. Maybe, maybe you've been in church, but you, you found yourself getting hurt by someone in church. And I'm, I'm here to encourage you today because I believe that, that for many of us, that we are on a journey and we're searching. We're searching for what God would have for us. And you know, I think that some of you today, you're probably here because, well, it's Easter and we live in the South. And I mean, if you live in the South and you don't go to church on Easter, I mean, come on. Everybody goes to church on Easter. Sometimes it's the only time we're going to see some men in a tie, you know, or it's a day that men can wear pastels and get away with it. That's pretty sweet. But you know, we come to church sometimes on Easter. Maybe you don't even know why you're here. Maybe you're just here because it is. It's Easter in the South. 
and we're supposed to go to church. But you don't really know what you believe. You don't know if you believe that this Bible is really truth. You don't know if it, it was Jesus really the Son of God. Did, did he really come and die on a cross? Did he really rise from the dead three days later? It's hard, sometimes we're, we're on this journey. It's hard to know sometimes what we believe. And for many of us, like I said, we have, maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you grew up in church as a kid, but as an adult, you just kind of got away from it because you just, you know, you're just not really feeling it. Or, or maybe even worse than that, maybe somebody really did hurt you in church. I, I know for me, I think about, I was reminded this week when I was 15, I believe it was, and I was at my home church up in Ohio where I grew up. And uh, our associate pastor was actually, he was such a really good guy. He was, he was just so nice and, and, he, and he was uh, faithful and friendly and just knew how to talk to, to people. And um, he was actually the Sunday school teacher for the teenage boys in the church. So he was my Sunday school teacher. So in a lot of ways, he was more my pastor than even our senior pastor was. And I just really, I admired him a lot. And uh, one Sunday, I'll never forget it. He got up in, in service. He had a part in the service. And when he got up, he just kind of stopped in the middle of what he was doing. He said, I just want to tell all of you today that today's actually going to be my last Sunday. He dropped a bomb on everybody. Our senior pastor didn't even know. He said, I'm leaving and I'm leaving town. And turns out he was actually leaving his wife and running off with a woman that he'd been counseling in the church. And I was devastated. And I didn't understand all of what was going on, but I do remember feeling completely betrayed. I felt like everything he said to me was probably a lie. And you know, I, I had to make a choice whether or not that was gonna cause me to, to step away from God or if it was gonna cause me to go closer to God. But I'll be honest with you, for a while I was even mad at God. Because I said, how, God, how could you let somebody like that come and teach my Sunday school class? How could you let him get away with all that he has done? And I was frustrated. And maybe, maybe you've been there too. You know, what happens to us if we get hurt, especially if we get hurt in the church, what happens is we start to put up walls where we're just going to protect ourselves. We're going to make sure, especially if you get burned, you're going to make sure you don't get burned again. And it's in our nature to just put up those walls and to just kind of be doing our own thing and not really allowing anybody to come inside of those walls. And you know, I don't believe it's an accident that you're here today. I believe that God brought you here. And you may not even know why you're here, but I do. I believe God brought you here because he wants to show you his amazing, wonderful love that he has for you. Because some of you are to the point where you're feeling hopeless. Some of you that come to church every week feel hopeless. You feel like, I just don't really know what I'm going to do. You feel like it's, not, it's never going to get better. And I'm here to tell you today that that is a lie straight out of the pit of hell. Because if you feel hopeless, what I have for you today is some encouragement. Because what Jesus did when he died on the cross, what we're celebrating today, his death and resurrection, it was wonderful and it brought us our salvation that we so desperately needed. But it also defeated hopelessness in our lives. And you know, the, the disciples of Jesus, they had a reason to feel hopeless too. On, on Friday, this past Friday, Good Friday, we, we, we commemorated the crucifixion of Jesus. On that day, the disciples were very hopeless. Because, you know, they thought he was coming for a different reason than what he really was coming. They thought he was coming to actually deliver the children of Israel, the Jews, out from under the oppression of the Roman government. Because Rome had taken over, and they were, they were forcing the Jews to, 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 into slave labor and to do all kinds of things that, the, that, that was uh, contrary to what they felt like they were called to do. And so when Jesus came, they thought he was going to set up an earthly kingdom. And that's why they were so excited to follow him. And, you know, Jesus tried to tell them, hey, I'm, I'm actually going to die, and, and then I'm going to rise again three days later. But they didn't understand it. In fact, in Mark's gospel, in chapter 9, verses 31 to 32, let me read this real quick. It says, he said to them, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. 
They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask them, to ask him. Translation, they thought he was crazy, but they were scared to say anything. Because it didn't make any sense to them. And frankly, one chapter earlier in Mark 8, we see that Jesus told them the same thing. He said, hey, I'm going to be handed over to the Pharisees, and, and they're going to crucify me, and three days later I'm going to rise. And at that point, Peter, his, one of his closest confidants, pulled him aside, and the Bible says he started to rebuke Jesus. Now, how much gall does it take to rebuke Jesus? But he did it. And he doesn't say what he said, but I figure he said something like, hey, Jesus, you can't say that kind of stuff around these guys. They're wanting to follow you. They're thinking you need to be talking about life and victory and how we're going to establish your kingdom. And he's trying to give him a pep talk. You know what Jesus says to him? He turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. He said, you have in mind the things of man, not the things of God. So Peter got his, got his tail handed to him in that setting. So do you think in one chapter later when Jesus says it again that they're going to question him? I don't think so. But I'm sure they were thinking exactly what Todd said on that video, that this guy is either right and has the truth or he's crazy. Because think about it. How crazy is it that God himself would come to this earth as a man just so that he could die an excruciating death for you and me? How crazy is that? That doesn't even make any sense. I don't blame the disciples for not understanding that because nothing like that had ever happened. But yet that's what God did for us. You know, it reminds me of a, a story from when I was in my mid-20s. I actually, a lot of you know, I spent a year in West Africa. I went with an organization where we were just bringing the love of Jesus to the, these people. It was a very poor country. It was a Muslim country. And we were there to, to give some health relief and, and uh, just to love on them and provide for them. And, of course, we were trying to share the gospel with anybody that would, that would be so inclined. And uh, we were trying to do that through building relationships. And I built this relationship with a guy. His name was Muhammad. And he was a Muslim. And we had a good friendship over the year that I was there. And we would talk all the time about our faith. He'd talk about Islam. I'd talk about Christianity. And he told me one night, he said, you know, he said, I've read the Bible and I've read the Quran. And he said, you know, I just, I just feel like the Quran just makes more sense to me. And a lot of that obviously was because of his upbringing too. But he told me, he said, but you know what? If I felt like the Bible was the truth, he said, I'd, I'd switch in a heartbeat because I'm, not, I'm not, not devoted to a religion. I'm dedicated to wanting to know the truth and to live for the true God. And I took the opportunity and I said, well, can I ask you, what is it about the Bible that causes you to not feel like it's legit or it's not the word of God? He said, well, I always get hung up on the, this one thing. He said, you know, I can buy the fact that God came to earth as a baby and was born of a virgin and lived this life and, and did a lot of miracles. He said, that, that lines up with what I think God would do. And he was healing people and he was raising the dead and he was setting people free, doing all kinds of wonderful things. And then in the middle of his ministry, where he's at the peak of his ministry, all of a sudden the people that he's helping crucify him and kill him. He said, I don't want to serve a God that's not strong enough to be able to save himself from a bunch of his own people wanting to kill him. He said, I want to serve a God that's powerful, not weak. And I looked at him, I said, well, that's actually the where you're getting hung up is you're missing the exact point of the gospel. I said, Jesus, it wasn't that he wasn't strong enough to save himself. He even said, he said he could call down legions of angels that would take him away in a moment's notice if he wanted them to. It wasn't that he wasn't strong enough. It was that that was the very purpose for which he came. That was why he was here. It was to pay the price for us. It was to live that life, to live a sinless life and to die that death to sacrifice himself for us. The cross was not a sign of weakness for God. It was a sign of his love. And I remember when I told him that, the light went on in his head. He said, 
I've never thought of it that way. I've never looked at it like that. And we had this wonderful conversation. And I'd like to say I was able to lead him to the Lord that day. I, I didn't get that chance that evening. And I actually had to leave the country soon after that. So I didn't get a chance to, to witness him converting. But I believe with all my heart that, that seed was planted that has grown and that he's serving Jesus today. I believe it. Because he said he was searching for the truth. And we know if you search for the truth, you will find it eventually. But, you know, that's the crazy thing about our God is that he actually comes. He came to do this incredible thing for us that's hard for us to even fathom. And, you know, I would ask you today, like, what would you be willing to do for somebody else? You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a father of three and a husband. And if, if, I had to, if, it, if it came down to a choice between me or my children or my wife dying, I wouldn't even think about it. I would take their place in a heartbeat. It wouldn't even have to, I wouldn't even have to give it a second thought. And many of you would feel the same way if it was your family. But here's the thing, you know why we would be willing to do that? Because they're, they're actually part of me. I have a love relationship with those people. They love me and I love them. And we are bonded together by that love. Jesus came and did what he did for a bunch of people that hated him. Not only did they hate him, they didn't give one eye. Oh, they couldn't have cared less about him. They just thought he was some good guy. But when he started talking about being God, they said, well, we got to kill him. Yet he still did it. He didn't wait until he felt like we deserved it. He didn't wait till we all got on our knees and said, oh, Jesus, we're sorry. Please pay the price for us. Please pay the debt that we can't pay. He did it long before we ever asked him to. In fact, in Paul's, uh, the apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, look what he says in Romans 5 and verse 8. It says, but God demonstrated his own love for this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now that's crazy. That's crazy love. And I'm here to tell you today, like I said, I don't believe anybody's here by accident. And I want you to know today that I would, I would beg you, don't let anyone in your life that's ever caused you to second guess the truth of God's word or the truth of who he is or his love for you. Don't allow what anybody has done to you to keep you from receiving that amazing, wonderful, unbelievable, crazy love from God. Because he did what he did for you and for me. You know, there's a scene in John's gospel where Jesus is talking about what it takes to follow him. And it says, and it was given a pretty hard word. It says that a bunch of the disciples actually turned away from him at that moment and walked away and said, we, we can't serve him anymore because it was too difficult. And it says that Jesus looked at his 12 disciples that were still standing there and he said, hey, do you guys want to go too? And Peter, once again, got to love Peter. He looks at Jesus, he says, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, following Jesus isn't easy. But we need to get to that place in our life where we say, where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. What else is there except your words that give us eternal life because of what he did on the cross and what he did three days later when he came out of that tomb? You know, Todd said in that video, he said, you know, it's a beautiful thing when you try to live right. A beautiful thing happens when you try to live right without Jesus. You can't. The beautiful thing, the reason that's beautiful is because we're not meant to try to live right without Jesus. We're meant to come to Jesus and say, I can't do this. And then Jesus says, oh, well, that's okay, because I already did it for you. And see, we have to be at that place where we're okay with getting to the end of our own rope. Because something beautiful happens when we get to the end of our rope. We meet a waiting Savior. I knew I wanted to go back. 
And, uh, and I definitely thought, wow, these people are having a good time. Whatever's going on, they're definitely having a good time. So anyway, Ann and I got married and we went on a little trip around Florida. And then uh, we came back to that church. Uh, probably it was two weeks after we got married. And uh, so, you know, we went in there and um, the pastor preached. And after that, the pastor said, if, if there's anybody in here that needs to come down here and pray, pray. And so there was a young guy sitting right next to me and he got up and walked down there and I just sort of followed him. All what I could hear at this time was my heart beating in my chest. And about 10 feet before I got to the front of that church, an invisible wave of love just crashed over me. And um, literally, um, lifted the weight of the world off my shoulders. And it was very beautiful, and uh, I didn't know what was going on. It felt like warm oil was poured over my head. It was crazy. And I was just crying and thinking in my head, God, how could you love me? But I wasn't sure he actually loved me. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing, for sure. I knew a miracle of miracles had occurred. And uh, in the wickedness that had been inside me had been wiped clean. And uh, I was somebody who I'd never been before. It's quite amazing. You know, I had no understanding of really anything. When I, You don't need understanding to be saved. You need to be repent you gotta it's just God dealing with man you know in in the most gracious of ways wherever you are it doesn't doesn't matter where you, where you are and uh, we are not exempt from suffering a matter of fact Peter says that we were called to suffering and that suffering and grace work hand in hand the, the difference is when you're when you're without Christ, you're without hope. We don't like to, uh, to uh, call on this promise of God, but you know, Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna have tribulation. And, uh, but he said, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And Paul said, through many tribulations, we, we will enter the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is nothing of this world, but it is in us and it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So in all those incredibly hard things that life will bring us, there's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Yeah. And that will never fail. And all those are wound up in the um, love of God, but in love and in lowliness, he comes alongside and he becomes a very present help in times of trouble. And uh, we can never, every, it, it, the fact of is, he's almighty God, he is orchestrating our lives. Every struggle, everything that, that we face day to day is his orchestration so that we can be a witness of his greatness. And, and is there any greater witness in the world that in tribulation you have peace? 
in sorrow you have joy. Those are the things that, that shake the world and that make people say, what is the difference with you that in the midst of, of this hell, you still have joy or you still have peace or you can laugh even in the midst of, of tears? That's what the world wants. You know, and until we make up our mind, Lord, I surrender everything. I am going to walk as hard as I can to you, but I need your help alone because my strength has always failed. But I know my strength is made perfect by you in my weakness. So, you know, the cross of Jesus Christ obviously is a central point of, of our lives. Uh, is the death of him essentially means the death of our old self. And, uh, but, you know, it, it doesn't stop there though. Uh, you know, that blood was necessary because we were, we were filthy and we were wicked and, and, and we needed cleansing. But that, the whole purpose of that cleanse, cleansing is he needed a clean place to reside. And so the, the real deal of the cross is the resurrection life coming to reside inside. It's through the cross, it's through the blood, but it's living. We become alive in Christ and we have a living, true relationship with God through that. Uh, through that sacrifice that was absolutely meant nothing without his resurrection. He is not here for he is risen just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. What a glorious testimony of a successful journey out of emptiness and darkness and despair into the marvelous love and fellowship of our Heavenly Father. You know, we're all on a journey, as has already been mentioned. I don't know exactly where you are on your journey, but I know you've come to the right place today because we have good news. We have the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is good news. There's more to life than the everyday mundane things that we go through. In fact, if this is all there is, all of us either has come or will come to that point of despair in our lives at some point, if this is all there is. Paul said, in fact, if, if this is all there is, if that's, if that's it, we're of all men most miserable. Job in his study, if you study his um, book in the Bible, uh, in the crisis that he went through, a crisis unlike anything that most of us will ever experience, Job went through horrific trials and thank God it didn't last forever. But in the midst of his trials, he was questioning, is this it? Is this all there is? And other people were leading him to believe that, that that was it. In fact, his own wife said to him, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Because it's, it's not going to get any better. 
But Job got a hold of that connecting point with God. And if you read his book, you'll discover that when he found it, he started reasoning something like this. He said, this thing of hopelessness, it, it, it can't be right. He said, when I study nature, I see hope. He said, there's hope for a tree. If a tree falls in the wilderness, it's, there's hope. Maybe a, a branch, a, a seed, a, a, a something from the root. If, if it gets rain or water, it may spring back to life again. And he said, wow, if there's hope for a tree, there's hope for me. And then he said, I, I wish everybody could know this. In fact, he said, I wish somebody would take a, a hammer and a chisel and, and carve these words in stone. And when you carve the letters of what I'm about to say in stone, I wish then you'd pour in lead so that it would last forever. Little did he know that it was going to last forever because God was going to put it in his holy word. But Job said, I want you to know there's hope. Even if the skin worms destroy this old body, he said, when he was suffering at his greatest point, he said, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and that not another, though my reins be consumed within me. He said, I'm going to see him. There is a future. There is a tomorrow. There is hope. I'm going to see God someday. There is life in him. And that's exactly what the good news of the gospel is all about. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 14 and 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said again in John chapter 10 and verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And then in John 14 and 19, Jesus says, because I live, you shall live also. There's life because of Jesus. Three little points I'd like to leave with you today, and I hope that you'll get a hold of these and, and, and think about them. They're very simple, and yet they're so profound. The first thing I want you to know is that Jesus came. He left the jewel-decked throne of glory. He left the presence of his heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit. He left the adoration and the worship of angels and came to this old sin-cursed earth, became a man so that he could dwell among us. He could understand exactly what we go through. He was tempted in all points just like we are, and yet he proved that he could live without sin. Oh, praise God. He did what we could not do because of the fallen nature that we have in us. Thank God he didn't have that in him. And so he lived among us. He, he suffered. He, uh, he was tempted. He was tried. He was tested in every way you could imagine. And then the second thing I want you to know is that he died. And we just celebrated that a couple of days ago. We celebrated the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, this Passion Week as it's referred to, the, the, the Holy Week in which our Savior died. And he died a horrible, excruciating death. The Romans searched for a way to punish 
they're criminals in, in the most painful way. If you study crucifixion, you go back to the Phoenicians and they would tie men to trees and let them die and let the birds come and pluck their skin and or their flesh and eat away at it as it's rotten on a tree. But when the Romans took over, they improvised on that a little bit and found a way to make it even worse. They found that you could hang a man and put his, his arms at just the right angle. And if you bend his legs to where he, he's not standing upright, then when, when his body begins to sag, his lungs lock and he can't breathe and he has to push himself back up so that he can breathe. And then when he begins to get weak and, and begins to slump again, his lungs lock and he cannot breathe. And, and so up and down, he pushes himself until finally his body becomes so weak that he can no longer get a breath. And so he asphyxiates uh, in, in that horrible position. Jesus died that kind of terrible death. Only his was made worse by the fact that, that he'd just been scourged. That's a Roman whipping. 39 stripes Jesus took on his back. Many men died from a Roman scourging. You're talking about a strong body. Jesus not only survived the scourging, but was able also to go to the cross where he ultimately gave his life for us. Oh, the enemy thought he had the victory when Jesus was being beaten in Pilate's judgment hall. But Isaiah said, take courage, friend. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> he died. But that was certainly not the end. In fact, if that had been the end, we would have no hope today. Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, if Christ be not risen, then our hope is in vain. We, we can do more than just take you to a cemetery and point you to a monument and say our leader lies there. He was a good man and he left us many great teachings. But oh, let me tell you, there are many infallible proofs in history and in the Word of God that three days later, Jesus arose from the dead, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And because he lives, we can live also. Praise the Lord. He rose. He rose. I don't know how far you would be willing to go. Pastor Reagan a while ago mentioned his love for his family. But what about beyond that? I, uh, when I was in college years ago, I, part of my service in, in the religious organization that I was a member of was, was um, in charge of a jail service. And we went there weekly to have service with the inmates. And through the years, I've visited a lot of jails and penitentiaries and I've gone to some of the places where they keep the worst of criminals and I've actually gone to places where you have to go through a tunnel underground and then through a series of locked gates that electronically lock behind you to get you to the 
innermost part where you deal with those who are on death row or those who are serving life sentences. And, and I, I was just thinking, what if, uh, what, what if I made a trip and uh, I, I, I dealt with one young man who uh, they don't even know how many people he'd killed. And, uh, <clears throat> and just suppose that I went through all that process and, and got on down and, and the warden met me and he said, uh, <clears throat> he said Pastor, um, he's not here. We've moved him to the death house. He's going to be executed in the morning. And would, would you like to go see him? And, and if on the journey over there, he said, by the way, Pastor, let me ask you a question. Um, in the morning, we're going we're gonna to take him from uh, where he is in the death house, and we're going to take him to another room where we're going to lay him out on a table, and we're going to put a needle in his arm, and, and uh, then they will begin to administer some drugs. The first one will put him to sleep, and, and then when he's well uh, into sleep, we will administer the, administer the lethal death. Uh, um, surge of, of, of chemicals that will take his life. And uh, he probably won't know a thing, but uh, he's going to die. But let me ask you this. You've got a pretty good relationship with him. Would you be willing to take his place in the morning? Um, my answer would be something like this. Listen, I love the man I've been praying for him. I'll be glad to be here in the morning and walk with him. I'll be glad to stand here beside him. But I, I'm going to have to pass on that last part. <laughs> well, maybe he comes back and says this, and, well, if you're not willing, would you be willing to give one of your boys? You've got two sons. Would you be willing to give one of them? Let them take his place? And I'd have to say again, I don't think so. But the golden text of the Bible says, for God so loved the world. By the way, that world there is you and me. For God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't give him to lay on a table and take a lethal injection he gave him to go through the horrible death of the cross so that he could shed his blood on Calvary. And while demons were rejoicing, thinking they had the victory, the psalmist was saying, there's a fountain filled with blood opened in the house of David for sin and uncleanness. The, the songwriter said there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners can plunge beneath that flow and lose all their guilty stain. He did it for you. He did it for me. And he did it willingly. Praise God. And then three days later, up from the grave he arose. And this morning, while we're sitting here in church, at the right hand of the Father is the nail-scarred hand of Jesus and a Savior who is interceding for you. We don't have a priest that can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, 
but we've got one who knows us, who has lived among us. He's gone through everything that we've gone through and more. And he's there to plead the Father on our behalf. And so this morning when we come with our unrighteousness, when we come with our sins, Jesus is standing there saying, I've already paid for his sins. I've already paid for the price. And that means we are accepted in the beloved. And that also means that there is a future, and it is bright if we've received Jesus. There is a tomorrow. Amen. There is a new day. It's coming in Jesus' name. Would you bow your head with me, please, all over the building? No one looking around for the next few moments, if you will, please. I want to ask you, first of all, how many of you sitting here this morning, men, women, boys, girls, whoever you are, wherever you are, how many of you are here and you'd say, Pastor, I haven't given my heart and life to Jesus, but I'd like to be remembered in this closing prayer. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise you that. that. That's not what this is about. This is a moment strictly between you and God, from your heart to his. But if that's you this morning and you'd like to be remembered in this prayer, would you just raise your hand? Put it back down. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Yes, yes. God bless you. Yes. Yes, 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 thank you. Thank you, God bless you. Now let me ask you a second question. How many of you are here this morning, you'll say, Pastor, I, I'll be honest with you, I really don't know for sure that I'm ready to meet God. If, if I should be called today to give an account of my life to God. I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm right with God. Remember me in this prayer. Would you raise your hand? Yes, yes, I see. I see your hands. Thank you. All over the building, in the balcony, on the main floor. Anyone else? Now, third and final question, I'm going to pray. How many of you sitting here right now say, Pastor, I just have to admit, I... I'm, I'm not where I ought to be with the Lord. I've had an experience with God, but I haven't really, I haven't really kept that fellowship with the Lord as I should. And I'd like to just renew that fellowship in this service this morning, in my prayer to him. As, as you pray, would you, would you remember me in prayer? Would you just raise your hand? I'd like to recommit my life to the Lord this morning. I'd like to rededicate, reconsecrate. I'd like to say, Lord, here I am. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you. Thank you all over the building. Thank you. Thank you. Now, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, we're going to pray together. And I'd like for everybody to pray this prayer after me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me, for giving your Son, Jesus, to die for me. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life, for paying the price I could not pay, 
I thank you. I ask you now to come into my heart. Forgive me of every sin, every shortcoming, every failure, every mistake, everything that doesn't please you. Wash it away. Write my name on the Lamb's Book of Life. I want to have fellowship with you. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I declare Jesus Lord of my life today. And Lord, with your help, I will serve you from this day forward. Amen and amen.